Welcome to The Goddess and the Medicine Woman with Melissa McHugh and Sydney Decker. In episode 42, we speak to former emotional hot mess and world-class awfulizer Jennifer Moore, who is the creator of Empathic Mastery, where she helps highly sensitive and intuitive women find their power. Come on in and join the conversation. Hi, Sydney Decker. Hi, Melissa McHugh. How's it going? One one day I'm going to (laughs) switch it up and I'm going to be the one that says hi first. Oh, don't do it. You'll freak me out. I know because oh, every time, like, uh, what's my name? What's your name? <laughs> every time we start, no, you, you should start. do it. I know. I know you should definitely do it, but just don't let me know, and it'll just be a thing. Okay. Well, now everyone knows. Now everyone knows it's going to happen. Now it'll never happen, or will it? I don't know. But um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty good today. I went to this park, which is always fun. I've had a lot of interesting experiences at the park lately. Um, yesterday I saw a huge ginormous snake like I'm not even it's not even an exaggeration like it's maybe it was because she sent me a video video on patreon because it's yeah we will because it's the biggest snake I think I've seen in just the forest I'm just like you usually see stuff like that in the jungle and I was like whoa that's a big snake (laughs) yeah and I couldn't figure out what kind it was or anything it didn't seem aggressive and it just seemed very curious um but that was cool and then today this jogger literally nosedived in front of me and like scraped up his nose and it was, I felt so bad, but it's like, and then we saw a deer I could have touched. I don't know. A lot of stuff happens at the park now. So, <laughs> I love going there. I like wake up excited. I'm like, what's nice. going to happen today? <laughs> awesome. Well, today what's going to happen is we have another amazing guest. Exciting. Today we have Jennifer Moore. Jennifer Moore and I love this part, is a former emotional hot mess and world-class awfulizer. I think we can all relate to that. (laughs) She supports other highly sensitive, intuitive women to release empathic overwhelm and distress so they can access their inner wisdom and power. She brings over 30 years of experience to her work where she merges practicality, intuition, and skill to offer insight, guidance, and emotional freedom to those she serves. She holds a master's degree in psychology and religion, is an accredited master trainer for EFT International, founder of the Empathic Mastery Academy, author of Amazon bestselling book, Empathic Mastery, host of the Empathic Mastery show, and is a creator of two Oracle decks and a photographic healing tarot. Woo, that's a lot of stuff. And I'm really excited to talk to Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks. Hi there. Being here. I am so excited to be here. I have to say, as I heard you guys talking about the snake, I'm thinking, oh my God, did somebody's like python or like cobra get loose <laughs> and ended up end up in the park? <laughs> oh my it, gosh. You know, like I was just the way you were describing the size of it. I'm thinking like that. I wonder if that's like somebody's and the reason it was so inquisitive, because it was a somebody's pet that got right. loose. So yeah, it didn't yeah. look like a boa constrictor and it definitely wasn't a um python a python it, no it no. looked like a big black milk snake when i saw it and they oh, can get pretty big. The, well and also okay. there are the water if you were near water there are the big black water snakes too those are some of the biggest snakes i've ever seen out in the wild like they're yes. they're beautiful and black and yeah, uh, it was big like that i it, yeah. i guess it's not like a lot of water, but there is like a little creek. Would they be in the Yeah, they yeah. could be. Oh, okay, I'm pretty okay. sure they could be there. Yeah. I mean, one of the places where I think I first saw them was actually at a pagan gathering and where there was like a big, there was a big lake and, or actually not even really a lake, a pond. And there were just like these water snakes that would just like glide across the, uh, across the water. Yeah. That actually makes and they sense. Get Maybe it would do that. Yeah. 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 And it yep. was maybe heading more towards the crick. But I also mm-hmm. thought, too, I'm like, this is a sign from Mother Earth that my kundalini is getting big. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and, you know, snakes are just such snakes are one of the original symbols of the goddess. And so yeah. that whole thing of just that divine feminine energy rising up within all of us and sort of returning to the earth and snakes are just such a symbol for transformation and change and the ability to shed our skin and become renewed and become who we who we really are meant to be on this planet as opposed to the the sort of constricting masks that so many of us wear yeah so that's yeah. that's definitely the journey i'm on right now too there you so, go and, and it was the first time like i wasn't afraid like usually what I at first I was like walking I was like holy because it was huge but I wasn't like 
like ran away or anything, which I thought was very interesting too. And I just had a dream the other night. I was telling um, Melissa about that this huge like tarantula was in my house and it was on my window and I walked into my living room and it saw me and it flung itself on me and it started like climbing up my leg and like biting me and attacking me. And it like bit my middle finger, but I wasn't afraid of that in my dream either. I just was knew I had to get it off me, but usually spiders literally make me like almost like have an anxiety attack. So I'm like the biggest, the spider. Oh, and then the bear. So my biggest mm. thing, spider, tiger, tiger, lions, bears, and tiger. Yeah. <laughs> spider, <laughs> snake, and bears have been my biggest things. And all of them presented themselves to me in different ways. And I was not nearly as afraid. So I thought that was really cool. Definitely That's on really that journey. Cool. That, is, that is really cool. Yeah. 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 So Jennifer. So you were, I really like this. You refer to yourself as a former hot mess and world-class awfulizer. Um, what did that look like for you? And how did you come out of that? <laughs> um, so let's just first, I mean, everybody knows what a hot mess is. Not everybody <laughs> knows what a world-class awfulizer is because uh, it's a term that I, that I, I believe I came up with, like I coined a couple of many years ago. And so awfulizing is the ability to take anything and imagine the worst case scenario and then like turn up the volume and double down on it and make it like even, you know, ovalizing is where you get a little tiny scratch and you imagine yourself dying of sepsis in the hospital like six weeks later. And so I come from a long line of world-class ovalizers who could really just imagine anything going horribly awry. And so I, I think that really informed my, my whole sense of, of life and of the world. But also, I was a very highly sensitive empathic child. I had a lot of sensitivity. I had a fair bit of um, psychic ability as well. And as an, as an empath, as a kid, also as just a magical, weird, little, smart girl, with, um, you know, who wanted to be an artist, was raised by fairly progressive, politically liberal parents who were very focused on both in human services. My sense of the world was really different than a lot of the kids around me. I was a misfit toy. I was absolutely an outlier. And that experience, I think, really had me anxious had me feeling really socially awkward and uncomfortable, feeling like I needed to try to fit in, I needed to try to get along. But also, because I was an empath, I was constantly picking up on the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, and the sensations from the world around me, and I was processing all of it, and this is what makes empaths empaths, I was processing all of this stuff as if it was my own, not realizing that I was experiencing all this emotional stuff, all this distress, all this energy, all these thoughts, just all these even physical sensations, not because I was, they were coming from within me, but because they were being, you know, maybe some part of it was within me, but most of it was being picked up from and then amplified. And that experience of picking up all the thoughts, feelings, energy, and sensations that are coming from the world around us, especially if we're being told, like me and so many of the people that I've talked to over the years is, you know, you're too sensitive, you're overreacting, you're making something up about this, this isn't real, you know, you've got an overactive imagination, stop worrying about it, let it go. So all I could conclude was that there was something really wrong with me, that I was really broken because I was constantly feeling so intense about all the things that were happening or not even happening. And nobody was validating it. Nobody was saying, oh, well, you're just an empath and you're picking up things that other people are putting down because they don't want to deal with it themselves. And so I think that that makes for a hot mess because you are overfeeling everything. Everything is amplified. There, you know, I didn't have any tools at that point in time. And so what it ended up looking like was primarily self-soothing. I mean, we didn't have 
social media. We didn't have Netflix or Hulu or any of the streaming services when I was a kid. We had TV that you could turn on and and, a, and in my household, a TV limit. <laughs> so I could watch maybe an hour or two a day. Um, and so the the sort of the self-soothing mechanism that I found most early was sugar and self-soothing with sugar. And unfortunately, uh, sugar might bring somebody or at least brought me temporary relief. But then what it ended up doing was causing, ultimately, it makes me feel, it made me feel worse. And it amplified the already over intense emotions and kept going from there. So you know, I could go on and on about what a train wreck I was as a as a as a as a kid and as a young woman. Um, but I hope that that answers your question about what did it look like for me as a hot mess. Yeah, it does. And yeah. I mean, I know Sydney and I both can completely relate with a lot of that because I remember when I was younger, and I always just you know that's one of the biggest reasons that I went into this field of helping people was because when I was younger and I was in such a, I was such a mess too. And I remember this big image that always comes to my mind as I was laying in this, this one place I was living and I would lie in bed and my boyfriend would be like, what is wrong? And I'm like, I don't know what's wrong except for everything is wrong. And I would cry for like three days straight and I would lay there Mm. and he's like but what is wrong and i'm like there's nothing wrong with me i'm crying for the world and he's mm -hmm. like okay you're crazy uh, but he would just lay there and hug me and i'm like i don't know what i mean and i can't explain it to you but i'm crying for the world yeah. and of course there is no one back then to even you know give me any ex explanation about what i was going through and that's one reason like i said why i want to do this for people help people guide them you know, on, on journeys like this, because we need to start educating people who are like us to move through this yeah. and not think they're crazy and not be a mess and just say, yeah, this is, is this is real what you're going yeah. through. Well, and I cannot count um, how many people, but what I can count are the people who were not told this. I have spoken to probably thousands of empaths at this point in time. And I have spoken to three of them who were not told that they were too sensitive, that they were overreacting, that they were taking things too personally, that they were making things up, and that they just needed to get over it and stop being so emotional or stop over and stop reacting to this fake thing that's not happening. And I mean, my personal theory is that we live in a culture that is so emotionally disconnected and shut down. And most people, especially I will say white people who have been raised in sort of like, you know, waspy puritanical or informed by waspy puritanical culture, um, really like learned to compartmentalize, to shut, you know, to shut it down, sort of move along now, nothing to see here, you know, <laughs> pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And there were all of the, you know, and, and, and in all of these family or in many of these families, there's one of us who ends up being born, who's kind of like the canary in the coal mine and the emotional lightning rod that is, is experiencing and expressing all of the things that other people, especially when you and I were kids, we're just not feeling like I do think it is getting better. I do think that there's a lot more information. I mean, if you go on TikTok and you, you know, type in the word, you know, hashtag empath, you're going to find thousands, millions of videos. Like you're going to find a ton of stuff out there about what it means to be an empath now. Whereas, I mean, you know, the first reference to empath ever was in a science fiction short story, um, it from 1956 called the empath which at this very moment god bless you sir i know your name and i cannot think of it um <laughs> he was uh um H, uh something macintosh and i am maybe ht macintosh i'm 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 not going to, I'm not going to mutilate it as mutilate his name, but then, you know, the next reference to the concept of empaths um, came up in 1968 
with with the original Star Trek and the first episode, the episode called The Empath, there was nothing between, you know, for 12 years, there was no reference whatsoever. And then we had one episode in Star Trek. And, you know, that's where pop culture started to get, you know, not just the weird kids who were reading science fiction, but, you know, national television was broadcasting a show about what it meant to be able to pick up and absorb the feeling, you know, the more the physical pain that was coming from other people. And so, you know, it wasn't really, in terms of pop culture, it wasn't really until, um, you know, the seven, late 70s, early 80s, when we had when we had um, Star Trek, the next generation, and suddenly there was Deanna Troy, the Betazoid, who is behaving like and who is essentially the archetype of what most people I think think of when they think of an empath now. And so reference wise, people started to have something to fill in and to be like, oh, I'm like that. But, you know, people of a certain, you know, like those of us, I'm like very late end baby boom, you know, those of us born in, born in the baby boom, and especially and even early like Gen Xers, there were no resources, there was no reference of, you know, you really were like, what is, what, what, what are you doing <laughs> over there? Yeah, yeah, something's wrong with you. You're a little bit weird and crazy. You're a little and, bit uh, weird. You better go yeah. find and your people because we don't want you around. <laughs> right, right, right. Or that was about it. Or you're weird. You need to fix yourself. You need yeah. to stop being so weird. You need to be yeah. different. You know, like 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 why can't you be like the rest of the kids? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Even growing up in the 90s, because uh I think for I mean, I was an empath. I was always very always told by every single person that ever met me I'm too sensitive and I'm mm -hmm. a drama queen and I'm over exaggerating. Mm -hmm. And the people that I would be like, I feel like this is what you're feeling would get so if they weren't tapped into it, would get so upset at me. Mm -hmm. And like really, and like I picked it up for my whole family. And it's like so interesting how this conversation is building on our conversation that we had on the podcast last week when we were talking about how I had an experience on the phone where I was, because I finally allowed myself to feel my feelings and I got locked out of my apartment and the lady on the other end of the phone was so just emotionally um, closed. You know what I'm saying? Like just not tapped in or tuned in. And she was like, okay, like, wow. Like I was an inconvenience. And we were talking about that experience because something that you said to just now um, about how the world is very like closed off emotionally. Um, I wanted to like see like your perspective on that and feel like how have you been able to one, I guess, protect yourself and like what is it that you've been able to do like in those experiences to like I'm just starting to honor myself and I just still felt my feelings and was like, whatever. Cause usually I'd be like, I'm a people pleaser, I'm gonna shut up and whatever. But I was like, um, I'm upset, like you know. So I wanted, as an empath and as someone who helps empaths, like, how do you help people get through that type of um, interaction and still be? And still be okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this is such a big, big, big question. And I could, I could take this in so many different directions. And um you know, in terms of just how do we navigate our empathic feelings and our empathic, you know, just like life as an empath, you know, that's what I wrote a 380 page book about, you know, empathic mastery is a five-step system. And it starts with being able to, and the for very first step is just being able to recognize ourselves, you know, the steps are recognize, release, protect, connect, and act. And the first step is just being able to recognize ourselves and recognizing ourselves. It's like after we recognize ourselves, then we can start recognizing when we're off, when we're picking things up, you know, where is it coming from? But the first step really is just recognizing ourselves and claiming it, being able to say, yes, I am somebody who picks up the emotions that are around me. Yes, I am somebody who was willing to express and feel my feelings. And then really honoring that and making choices about where is it safe for me to express my truth and where is it maybe not appropriate for me to express my truth. The other part of this for me 
is there has been a great deal of power and a great deal of relief that has come from basically really understanding that there is I can be mind I can be aware of or sense that somebody's feeling something. And then there's a point where I either choose to engage with it or not engage with it. And that's the that's the that's that sort of point. And over the years what I've learned because when I was younger as a highly you know as an empath if I sensed somebody was hiding something or somebody was, there was distress going on around me or somebody was kind of emotionally shut down, that would feel unsafe. And so what I would do is I would sort of probe. I would kind of ping them a little bit. I'd reach in a little bit to try to figure out what are they not telling me? What are they not, you know, what, what's going on here? And this is actually one of the reasons why I think that, some people in the psych world, you know, and, and like the pop psychology world over on TikTok will say things like, um, you know, an empath is basically a trauma, being an empath is a trauma response and it's a form of hypervigilance. I would say, well, there is truth in that. There are aspects of it for many of us, the trauma and hypervigilance is part of it. I do not believe that that is what makes some of us empaths exclusively. Because if trauma, what I say is if trauma was the thing that made people empaths, the entire planet would be all, exactly. everybody on the planet would be an empath. And, you know, I, uh, this is a whole other tangent. So I'm going to get back to the question. I love so, that though, because yeah. that's like a big thing that I always oh, want. Oh, yeah. To, I always want, I'm like, am I just responding because all the trauma and, you know, and then you hear that and then I'm like, okay, I'm not an empath. I'm just traumatized. <laughs> well, and I really, you know, I mean, nobody ever, nobody would ever be like, everybody in the world has the capacity to be an NBA player. I mean, really, you know, everybody has that ability. But for some reason, there's this sort of weird kind of like everybody's empathic, everybody's an empath. No, you know, and if you, and but it's sort of like, it's sort of like a woman who has um, endometriosis and suffers from really, really bad periods. Most women don't. And so, and I know I having conversations with a number of women over the years, you know, that, that the women who endure this go through so much, but if they're around women who've never been through it, it's kind of like, oh, it doesn't compute. And the thing is that everybody has a capacity for empathy, but not everybody is experiencing what it's like to be an open, you know, sort of like open window that is picking up the thoughts, feelings, energy, and sensations that are coming from the world around us. And excuse me, and processing it like it's our own. So, um, you know, Sydney, to go back though to the, to the sort of the question about this in my experience, the thing is that I, because of that tendency to lean in and to want to find out more information about what somebody, when somebody's withholding, my natural tendency, especially as a younger person, was to kind of just sort of try to feel a little bit, maybe not fully probe, maybe not do any kind of telepathic, like what's going on in there, but just to try to feel it, like push up against it. And what I've learned over the years is that if somebody's in that kind of a space, to me, that is now mind your own business, like stay out of it. This person does not want to share their information. And especially like if you're talking to a dispatcher on the telephone or something, who's just there to do their job, then it's like not taking it personally that they don't want to share because that's about them, not about me. And so I have found that it's almost like when I'm around people, I need to know, I need to know how to course correct as quickly and adapt as quickly as possible. So that if I, if something is going on and I am feeling really, you know, I'm feeling really vulnerable, I'm having a really hard time. And I basically come up against somebody who's just being a real, um, Oh, I'm just trying to think of what, uh, just imagine whatever swear you would use for somebody being a real a-hole, <laughs> um, you know, 
that that if I come up against that kind of a person, what I what I personally do is if I find myself getting my buttons pushed or feeling invalidated or feeling dismissed or or just getting a lot of pushback and a lot of meanness, what I do is I I pull back into myself and I just really take a second to breathe and notice that this is not a safe person. And that this is a person who does not have the capacity to acknowledge or witness or be present for me. And so what I do is I really let that part of me that needs that comforting know, I got you, baby. I'm here. I'm with you. And like sort of, and then try to be like, okay, what is my goal with this conversation? In this particular case, my goal is to get some help to get to, you know, to get out of like I'm locked out I need to get back in and just really be kind of like and and just sort of be like she does not have the capacity to meet me where I am and her inability to feel her feelings has nothing to do with my ability to feel mine I will also say that for me I take a lot of like I fundamentally believe that the that emotional intelligence is a superpower on this planet and feeling our feelings is incredibly important and so part of it is also that i like i i'm like that's her deficit not my defect like and so, and so knowing that if she's, if she's that kind of like, hmm, why are you feeling so like, I mean, I'm like, you got locked out of your, I mean, who knows what was going on for this woman that she would think it was strange that somebody who was locked out of their apartment would be really upset. Like maybe she had had, you know, and then my sort of empath self will start doing like, well, maybe she had a really hard day. Maybe this kind of thing happened, <laughs> maybe blah, blah, blah. The truth is, I don't have, I don't know. I have no freaking idea what is going on with this woman, where she, whether she's just a chronic jerk or whether she was happened to be having a hard day. But what I do know in that kind of situation is that this is a person who is not safe for me to be emotionally, emotionally vulnerable around. Because that's the thing. There are people in the world who deserve our emotions and deserve our vulnerability and who are worthy of experiencing that with us. And then there are people in the world who do not deserve that. And that was something I learned a number of years ago because as a younger person, and I come from a family of talkers, could you tell? And, <laughs> <laughs> and my parents, my mother was a psychotherapist and my father was a social worker who worked in human services in, um, in child protective services when I was a kid. And I have a grant. My, my dad's father was a, was a, uh, was a psychiatrist and my grandmother was early childhood education specialist come from a long line of people who talk. <laughs> and so in my family, if anything was going on, people would talk about it. Like you would, it would like immediately be discussed. So I grew up in a world where I was really used to, if there was an issue, if there was a conflict, if something was going on, you brought it to the table and you discussed it. Doesn't mean it was always a healthy conversation or it was handled emotionally in emotionally appropriate ways all the time. But it, But there was a fundamental belief that if there was something going on, you would talk about it. And it took me many, many years and actually a conflict with some, some people who, um, who I was, I was fairly, let's just say like, um, in a business, fairly close to in a business relationship, you know, so logistically close, not emotionally close. And we got into a situation and where we were not seeing eye to eye and they, and they hurt me. They really hurt me. But I knew that these were people who did not have the emotional capacity to respect and honor the pain that they caused me. And I knew that if I went into any of it with them, that the likelihood of being gaslit was very, very high. And instead of ever coming back and saying, you hurt my feelings, I did something I'd never done before, 
And I gave them the silent treatment for a couple months where I was civil. I was polite. I'd say hello to them if they came in, you know, if I came in or something like that. But I never, I wouldn't, in, I wouldn't initiate any kind of a conversation. I wouldn't start anything. I wasn't making small talk with them. And they knew that something had happened. They knew that something was going on. They didn't have the emotional intelligence or capacity to say, hey, you seem different now. What's going on? Did we hurt your feelings? And so we just kind of like acknowledged that there was a big, or we all knew there was a big elephant in the middle of the room and I wasn't going to point it out. They weren't going to point it out. And for the first time in my life, I decided that my emotional health and that my, my sensitivity was more important than trying to get them to hear me when I knew, absolutely knew, that these were people who, if they could hear me at all, would then dismiss, invalidate, defend, and just do all these things. So I know this is a really long answer to a fairly short question, but what I would say is that a big part of it for me is about choosing where you cast your pearls and your emotions are your pearls. Your feelings are your pearls. And some people are worthy of that precious, vulnerable intimacy that is coming from you. And some people, they don't deserve it. And for me, it can even start with like, if I'm having a hard day and I need to make a phone call, I might preface something by saying I'm having, you know, it is, you know, something like, just want to let you know, I'm feeling really stressed out right now. I'm having a really hard time. I just, you know, I just locked myself out of my apartment and that was like the last straw. And if somebody's like, oh, ma'am, ma I'm so sorry that happened. I know this is somebody who can meet me there. If I get a kind of like, wow, sucks to be you, kid, coming back, then I know, or even kind of like, huh? why are you so worried about that? I know that this is somebody who is not going to be able to hold space for me. And if anything, um, you know, if anything, I will... I will find my, like, I will be more harmed by trying to get a response from them. And I mean, we could talk about like, why as it, you know, like I, I grew up with a father who was a classic product of like, he was a Korean war veteran. He was, um, you know, he was somebody who like, my dad was somebody who was like, just sort of fit the whole like the classic kind of image of, you know, the the commuter dad who would come home, sit in his chair with the paper. He wasn't a martini drinker, but sit in his chair with the paper every night and kind of like, you know, just just emotionally unavailable. And so I know for myself that one of the things I had to acknowledge or address was the parts, the little parts of me, the little girl in me that wanted that emotional validation from somebody who was very emotionally, who was very emotionally unavailable when I was a kid. In hindsight, just, you know, sharing about my dad, my father had struggled, suffered from, he fell out of a moving car when he was four years old and had a severe frontal lobe brain injury. At this point in time, I'm actually amazed at how capable he was of functioning like a normal human being with the level of injury that his brain had endured. But I also now really understand that it must have been incredibly, incredibly overwhelming for somebody who was suffering from a frontal lobe brain injury. And the frontal lobe is all the rational part of your mind, the logical part of your mind, to have a child who was as incredibly verbal, incredibly you know, quick to everything as I was, like, I think I just baffled him. But at that age, I just wanted somebody who could like see me and witness me and be my daddy. And he just wasn't capable of that. So, you know, so I guess I'm talking about, you know, in terms of the idea of recognize, recognizing who I am, recognizing who that other person is, and then also recognizing the triggers that are making me feel more vulnerable and making and bringing up that 
part of me that's just like, I just really want you to see me. I just really want you to know what's going on for me right now. So big, big, big answer. But hopefully this gave you gave you something to work with here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, too, um, when it comes to being an empath, this is just something that I've learned. So I'd like your perspective on this is before when you first kind of start waking up to the fact that like you're an empath you're like oh cool like I'm gonna I have the superpower I'm gonna go connect with everyone and I still kept using it as like an external plugging into people thing thinking that people will be there for me and I realized especially as you were talking that you actually want to start to use your empathetic power on yourself and be able to hold the space for yourself and be able to be vulnerable yes. with yourself. Yes. And that's you, that's actually where the power is, mm-hmm. is because like you were, I have a very similar thing with my dad. He was emotionally unavailable and I always wanted to find ways to connect with him throughout my whole life in different ways. And now I'm finally, even now, like the last situation of getting locked out of my house, I allowed myself to cry and to feel, and I didn't let this other person, I didn't need anyone to hold space for me for the first time. Cause I couldn't get in touch with the people that normally would. And I realized that being an empath is actually for me and it's yes. not for anyone else. And that yes. just like mind blown right now. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And that ability to use our sort of like, we have a super highly calibrated, like, and, and, and precise, like extra sensitive like compass GPS within ourselves that has the ability to sense things that many other people may not pick up as quickly or sometimes at all. And that ability to perceive things then starts to give us the ability to course correct and to adapt Mm -hmm. and to shift very, very quickly. And I really, I love how you're saying, it's like, how do we hold that empathy for ourselves and hold that space for ourselves and recognize when we're feeling tender, when we're feeling vulnerable. And over time, you know, the one thing I will say is that I'm imagining as you, like for me, my relationship with my father improved like 297% when I stopped, when I let go of the little, when my, well, when I started to parent my own little girl and give her, and I mean my inner child and give her what she needed so that she wasn't looking to him to meet that need. And I stopped looking at him as needing to be my daddy. You know, he's always going to be my father, but he, but he would never, ever be my daddy. And when I was able to let that go and accept him as a human being who was really just, you know, we're all just, to quote Ram Dass, we're all walking each other home. And that just really seeing him as a human being who was doing the best he could and really had his own set of things, instead of looking at him as like, you are my father, for me, it really shifted to my parents are divine source, you know, mother, father, God, the goddess, however you want to define it. My parents are divine source. And my father is a child of the same divine source as me. So they are sort of like, yes, I came through them, but I am not of them. They, they, they are, they are my siblings on this earth in many ways. And when I was able to let him be a human being first and my father second, my expectations, I could drop my expectations. And, and as a result, my relationship, there was less friction because I wasn't judging him. I wasn't expecting so much of him. I was able to start appreciating him for who he was. And over the course of the last 20 years of his life, and I will say getting married ended up being one of the best things I think that ever happened to my my relationship with my father, because I really, really came to understand what a good husband was, both with my own husband, but also 
with what my father was and did as a, as a husband. I really like, so I started to be able to appreciate him in different ways. I started to be able to recognize like all of the contributions he did make and be really grateful for it. And so he and I really got, had an opportunity to, to really patch and heal and transform our relationship, mostly because of my shifts and my attitude. It wasn't like he was doing the work. I was the one who was like, you know what? I'm just going to accept him on his turn for who he is and see what happens. And, you know, my dad died back in 2020. He was actually one of the first 10,000 people who died from COVID. And, um, you know, my dad, you know, so he died in May of 2020. And ironically, because I am one of those woo people who completely believes that there is such a thing as an afterlife, my relationship with him has substantially improved now that I am not dealing with somebody with a body with a severe frontal lobe brain injury. And that's the other part of it is I did not understand the magnitude of what had happened to him and how deeply it had inhibited his capacity to function until until I, um, you know, until he died, like, and I could communicate with him and suddenly he was warm and effusive and like delightful and helpful and generous. And, and like, just, you know, I mean, he's still, I still sometimes get the sort of the dry replies and I don't know, Johnny, but, but I, but it's just his, his energy completely shifted once he was on the other side. So yeah, that's yeah. amazing because Sydney had the exact same thing happen with her father. He passed away too. And now she has a, a really great relationship with him. <laughs> yeah, he shows up for me now more on the other side than my dad. Same exact thing. My dad is so much. And my dad, so my dad was a Virgo. And, um, you know, his name is John. And my dad is a Virgo. My dad, like, I'm part of a prayer community of, you know, goddess, very earth centered spirituality focused, you know, for um, dedicated. We're actually a rosary community um, dedicated to the forgotten earth wisdom of the rosary and honoring Our Lady by any name you choose to call her. It's called Way of the Rose. It's a really amazing movement. Um, but, you know, my dad, so we do a lot of, there's a lot of ancestor reverence and ancestor worship within this community. And so, you know, John, ironically, has kind of become the saint of getting dishes done and like straightening up garages and doing all the little weird, <laughs> like household tasks that need to be done. And he has started to be, not only is he helpful to me, but like when I don't want to deal with the dishes, I call him in because <laughs> he loved, I never, he, I, I, he, I'd never, or he had never met a dish he didn't love. Like this was a man who <laughs> literally loved to scrub dishes and pots and pans, but, um, he, he got to the, he's so generous on, from the other side, like anybody in the community will just like, Hey, like will literally pray to my father for help. With like the weird, like, help me clean my gutters. Help me clean, help me sweep out the garage. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I would not recommend anybody do is ask him to help them run a bead of cock because um, <laughs> that man, uh, our, let's just say the, the tile, the, 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 the cocking and the tile in our bathroom, in, the, in our bathroom is when I was a kid was like the glorious mess <laughs> that I've ever seen. <laughs> Because uh, that was not his skill set. Yeah, <laughs> I love amazing. that. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, one thing. I mean, um, I want to talk about like your show. So, yeah. what exactly is that? Um. So, my show is the Empathic Mastery Show. It's another podcast. Um. Okay. I just kind of loved the idea of a name of of something that says show. You know, because it's <laughs> yeah. all kind of like. Empathic Mastery Show. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. That's what I kind of felt <laughs> like, in my green. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like put on the top hat, pull out the pull out the cane. Um, you know, what it is is it is a podcast. Uh, sometimes I do solo episodes, but most of the time what I'm doing is I am bringing in a guest who is also an empath. And who wants, and what we do is we first, we talk about just the experience of being a kid, being an empath and what it was like for them. Then, um, you know, the challenges they came up with. And then a lot of times what we really spend most of the time talking about is the way that being highly sensitive and empathic has, a, has, has, has sort of 
um, manifested in their life and also manifested in their gifts in their in in what they do with the world. So like, for example, there is an episode that's about empaths in an animal rescue, because there's a ton of empaths in animal rescue. Yeah, and too. and we and we had a really, it was with my friend Britt who runs a pit, a pit bull rescue. And she now also runs a, a doggy daycare and kennel. And so she's very much involved in the animal industry, but she comes at it with a background as a business coach and with somebody who successfully run a business. So we really talked about just like all of the boundaries that need to be in place and all of the ways that, especially when somebody just goes into rescue from the place of just, I want to rescue, I want to fix, I want to save um, that it's it's almost always like a recipe for disaster because of the fact that there are so there needs to be a support system there needs to be an infrastructure in really really good conversation that happened like it aired last fall and then you know another example is um you know like i've had some conversations with people about like near death experiences and what it was like to like die and be in a coma and experience the other side and then come back i've had conversations with people a couple episodes are about the intersection between um being an empath and having ADHD, which is really interesting. Um, and, and I've been really going down an interesting rabbit hole lately about um, like synesthesia and also about a um, female diagnosed on the autism spectrum and how interesting. I was just listening to part of Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. And the woman being interviewed at the time was somebody who had been at the age of 37. Finally, they found out, you know, she was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. And she was talking about how she could pick up and feel everybody's emotions. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're an empath. And, you know, so there's a lot of like cross-pollination and like a lot of different words that are kind of getting thrown around for what those of us who are just outliers who experience the world and pick up so much more than a lot of other people do um, that's happening now. But, uh, you know, every episode is just, yeah, like the one that just aired like a couple days ago was about being raised in an evangelical Christian family as an empath and what it was like to break free and go for her own path. So that's, that's the podcast. It's, it's, I love it. I've, I'm going into the thirds. I am like, I, the, the second season just literally ended like this. Well, actually, no, I, I take that back. This The second season is ending this Friday and then nice. third season is starting. And this, technically there was actually a, a 18 month first like beta beta like first season. So technically this is really the fourth season, but I'm calling it the third. <laughs> anyway, so that's the Empathic Mastery Show. And if anybody's curious about listening to the Empathic Mastery Show, I made, I have really simple to find simple URLs. If you go to empathicmasteryshow.com, you can find the whole shoot and match there. Nice. Awesome. Thank you so much yeah. for asking about it. Yeah. yeah. That We're so really interested cool. in podcasts because we know what goes into it We're, and oh, yeah. we love doing ours. It's like such a passion that we just love to hear about other people's. I other love, people's. I, I, you know, I, and I have to say, like, it really feels to me like there are, there are the people who like pick up podcasting because they think it's going to be good for their business. <laughs> And then there are three people like us who just love podcasting yeah. and, and absolutely adore it. I just actually came, came away for, I did a, a sort of a virtual, um, I don't know if you guys knew about She Podcasts Live, but it was, a, it ended up being a virtual event this year instead of a live at a, a venue event. But um, so many workshops and classes and just, and and the thing that I really enjoyed about it, and I've only just dipped my toe in it, I have so much more stuff to listen to. But the thing I really loved about it was just the incredible camaraderie and enthusiasm and clear love for this medium as a way to be in communication with each other. I mean, I've made so many amazing connections with so many people. I've had so many incredible like conversations, so many epiphanies. It's like podcasting is the bomb. Yeah, it, <laughs> exactly. really good. It, is. Yeah. it really is. It is. We agree. Well, awesome. You know, we're going to have to stop here only because uh, it's time. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Wow.
Well, wow. <laughs> it's time for the deep dive five. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions and whatever comes to mind, it can be a long answer, short answer. It's up to you. Question number one, how do you define spirituality? Ah, uh, how do I define spirituality? Spirituality is an internal understanding of desire to connect and sometimes wished for and sometimes conscious awareness of how we are part of something substantially greater than ourselves, of our place in the family of all things, and of our and of that awareness of the numinous, our awareness of that which is the beyond the beyond. And whereas religion is all of that, but with a middleman and with an external focus. And so I would say spirituality for me is about the intimate moment to moment embodied experience of knowing my relationship as part of in the world as part of the divine as a cell in the body of this earth Ooh, good one yeah what do you feel is the most vital emotion we must express to heal or to feel well grief mm -hmm. grief I think that out of, I mean, people are really good at anger. Mm -hmm. People are absolutely amazing at fear. I mean, we live on fear. We're addicted to fear as a culture. Um, we can do a little bit of sadness, a little bit of depression, you know, but anger and anger, worry, and fear are, are, you know, or yeah, anger, worry, and fear are like ubiquitous, but grief, we avoid at all costs. And I, uh, many years ago started to say, when in doubt, grieve, because mm -hmm. so often it's the place that we're avoiding. It's the, you know, that willingness to be vulnerable, that willingness to be tender anger, you know, we puff up and we're empowered and we're like, you know, and fear we contract and we're just sort of frenzied, but we're in neither of those states. Are we really able to, a lot of times, are we able to really feel the vulnerability. I mean, and ultimately, if you if you let anger, if you run anger and run anger and run anger, you'll get to vulnerability, you'll get to the vulnerability of grief, you'll get to the sadness, anger, really, I mean, you're not going to be angry unless there is a loss, unless there is a slight, unless there is something that ultimately lets us be like, that really hurt. And so I think anger you know, if anger's natural progression is grief and even fear in many ways, then fear is always about what we're afraid we're going to lose. So, you know, I, I think I, I heard this once anger is for anger is for loss that has happened. Fear is for loss. Like anger is anger is the grief that has happened. Fear is the grief we imagine in the future. And so I really do feel that grief is one of the absolute most important emotions that we can be present to and feel because when we can soften into that tenderness, once we move beyond, once we move into that softness, that tenderness, that grace of that grief, then what we can come to is the purest of all things, which is love. But without grieving, our love is limited. Oh, it's beautiful. What has been the best wisdom that you have received and that you live by? It was on a fortune cookie <laughs> and I kept getting it. Like I got it multiple times and I, and I do live by it. And it was, there is no wisdom greater than kindness. Yes. Very true. What's your heart's greatest wish? Oh my goodness, that is a very, the heart's desire 
is one of the biggest parts of a way of the rose <laughs> because the we have to start praying for ourselves. We have to start admitting what is our deepest heart's desire. In my particular case, it really, really varies depending on the moment. Sometimes like there was a point where after my pug Bob had died and I was just heartbroken, I missed him so much that my deepest heart's desire was to have another pug. And right now I've got my soulmate, Lilu, sleeping at my feet. She's a little like three and a half year old. Um, almost just going to be four. Good Lord. Um, you know, but sleeping, Brindle Pug sleeping at my feet, who is truly one of the loves of my life. Um, you know, she was, she was at, there was a point where she was my deepest heart's desire. Right now, I would say my deepest heart's desire. It's it's sort of like it, it mixes, it merges between to get all of the clean but unfolded laundry put away. <laughs> I'm there with you. And to um really be to just really be in right relation with the divine, to make connections with other people who are seeking to be in right relation with the divine, and to let the divine speak through me. And, um, you know, but sometimes I think when it comes to the deepest heart's desires, it's those really raw, human, vulnerable ones. I want a pug. Um, yeah, I also will admit that there's this, like, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm kind of part of me has a deep heart desire for a, a baby kitten because we lost uh, one of our cats. Um, oh no, she, yeah, you can see there's, there's that Livy right behind me. Her brother died in February. And so there's a part of me that has this deep heart desire for a little baby boy kitten. But then there's another part of me that's like, really? Do you really <laughs> want to deal with a crazy kitten? Do you really want to be dealing with like all of the additional litter box cleaning that's going to come with that? <laughs> so I'm on the fence right now. Love that. And what do you believe happens when we die? So when John died, he, um, I, so I believe, so when John died, it was really, really, really profound. And what I will say is that, and, and what I experienced was that he, he kind of had, like, he was like, I am no longer bound by time. I am no longer bound by space. I am everything and I am everywhere. And yet he is also simultaneously still his, like there is still the ability to be in communication with his consciousness. I think, it, I think that what I would say is that I think when we die, it depends. I think it depends on how much fear we have. I think it depends on like how much programming we have about what we expect is going to happen to us. I think there's a certain working through some of that mental stuff that occurs and, um, and, and kind of, and then sort of coming to and realizing that, oh, this is more than what I expected. But I also have had enough conversations with enough people um, with near-death experiences, as well as experiences with people who have crossed over and just things that make you go, hmm, that, that you just cannot explain away, that I believe that leaving this physical body is a transition. It's, it's no, in the same way that like, if you like were in one building and you walk out the door and you go into another building, like the people in that one building are not going to be able to see you anymore, but they know you're in that other building. Or if you were to decide, you, you know, you went to an, you, you know, you, you got into an airplane and you flew to another place, like leaving our body is not the end. And I also, I also believe that there's these, you know, there are just these remarkable spaces on the other side where we get to learn, where we get to review, where we get to evaluate. I've spent a great deal of time doing Akashic record work 
for myself and with other people, as well as in the healing temples in the astral, you know, sort of or beyond the astral realms, like in, I don't even know what, you know, in the light realms that I also believe that there are times where we just get to take a break, where we get to reevaluate, where we get to reassess, we get to redefine. But um, many, 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 many years ago, I read a book that was written by Whitley Stryber um, called, I believe it was called Cat Magic, or it was called Cat Witch, but I think it was called Cat Magic. And the very beginning of the story is um, a frog dying. And it's written so exquisitely beautifully because what Stryber talks about in this book is how much our like perception of reality will inform our experience of transitioning. And there was something about the way it was written that always rang incredibly true to me. And, but what John would say is, in some ways, like all, like time and space is, a, is an absolute illusion. Everything is existing all at once. We're just experiencing it through this lens that sort of slows it down and separates it out so that we can understand it. But once we are on the other side, it doesn't matter anymore. It just, it doesn't matter anymore. And so he is, he is still him in the sense that I can communicate with the energy or the essence of who my father was as an individual, but then he's also absolutely everything. So this is a topic that I love, that I am incredibly passionate about, that I've been curious about since I was a tiny, tiny little kid. And so, um, you know, I could talk for hours about life after death, about that intersection as well as, and Sydney, I don't know if you went through this, but I was really surprised how profoundly my energy body was impacted by the death of my father and how much I felt like my entire nervous system recalibrated after he died. Because what I, I came to understand was that um, our parents are sort of, if you don't have, a, if your grandparents are already gone and your parents are the, are the, the last generation alive, then they are the terminal point on the evolutionary chain or on your ancestral, like on your ancestral chain. And when they die, you suddenly become the terminal point on the chain. And there yes. is something wild about that, that I was completely unprepared for. I had absolutely no idea how profoundly my energy system would be impacted by being at this point, my mom is severely, is struggling with severe dementia. So mentally she is gone. Like her, you know, she's just gone, but she still has a body and, um, and she's still very sweet, but she's still, you know, but so I have not yet experienced her transition. So half of my DNA is now on the other side and that, and, and I really believe in a weird way too, that allows us to be much more connected to the other side than mm -hmm. when your parents are alive. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. so interesting. Yes, that, thank you for saying that because that is exactly what I have been trying to put into words because that's something that I've noticed since my dad's passing. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, my brother is my dad. Like, he's older than me, so he gets that, and he's not an... um. He actually is pretty open, so I can't speak for things because he's quiet and he doesn't, I'm not going to go there and say he's not open. Um, but he, like, I talk to him now and I'm like, I'm talking to my dad. And before my dad died, you could see little things here and there in him, but nothing like, he made a video for my birthday and I'm like, okay, this is Scott Decker talking. Like, this is, it was like, whoa. <laughs> but um, I have been saying this to, Melissa's my aunt. So my grandmother, her mother just died uh, a year ago. Mm. and right yes 2022 yes yeah so it just that's just been a thing and um I've noticed in both her and my mom who's her sister how so many things have changed and I was like trying to tell them with my words like what was going on but you just explained it it's 
they are now dealing with the karma that she left, like the different energies. Like my mom is like a completely different person. And she, my mom kept even saying like, there's something that's very important that she do because she feels like it's like a evolution for her mother. And it's Mm -hmm. like, she never felt that way before. So you putting into words like that. Yes. Like completely agree. I've been trying to explain that to other people when their parents pass and that type of thing. So yeah. thank you for saying that. That's oh, I would love for you to actually like come back on and us have a conversation about that. Like seriously. Oh, that would be yeah. amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, and I just was teaching, I was teaching um and I'm t- I'm just about to finish with a an 11 week um EFT training because I'm as you guys mentioned, I'm also a master trainer for EFT International and I got to facilitate an entire session for the students to watch with one of the one of my seasoned students who's been working with me for a couple, you know, a training with me for a couple of years now. And we ended up coming up against basically, you know, working on all this different stuff that's going on and kind of peeling away the layers of the onion and following the threads. And we ended up coming up against all of this ancestral stuff, all of these ancestral agreements, all of these like beliefs and things that had been impacting not only them, but their grandparents. And they left this boxer message for all of us in the group. Um, afterwards, basically saying, oh my God, I just had this realization that in the last five years, all four of my grandparents have died. And now my parents are basically dealing with, they've inherited all of the unreconciled stuff that my parent, that their parents did not deal with. And they have no idea what's impacting them. They're just hot messes that are running around with chickens with their head cut off at the moment. (laughs) And they, and they don't have any tools to cope with it. And so, you know, what's, and, and the thing is because they're not dealing with it and she's the empath, all of like, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. She's kind of like, it's like the backup septic system. Everything's just kind of overflowing into her. And fortunately, she has the tools to be able to navigate this. And so we're able to start addressing and dealing with the ancestral trauma through her, which will, I believe, ripple out and benefit her parents, even though they are not capable of doing the work at this point in time. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. This is, yeah. yeah, we have to have you come back on because this is love such that. a new age topic that we yeah. need yes. to, because yes, all of that <laughs> is like, absolutely. <laughs> all have, of that. Yes, yes. I've been experiencing that. I've been experiencing it. My dad's been gone nine years. So wow. I've been becoming more and more aware of it throughout the years. Yeah. And then when my grandmother died too, I could really see it with um, my family and how it operates in my family and certain things and how even her passing has rippled and created changes and different. It's like, yes, like I really want to get deeper on that subject. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Cool. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for coming on. Oh my gosh. I can't believe the time went by so fast yes. and we still have so many things to talk about. I but know. Yeah, that's why we have to talk about exactly. more. Exactly. Definitely. So we can send our listeners to um, empathicsensitivity.com and I'm going to put it in the show notes because whatever I just said right there, it might be right. Empathic sensitivity. Exactly. And that leads people to, um, it has your safety guide, three basics for finding calm in the eye of the storm, an ebook that gives empaths, intuitives, and highly sensitive people a set of tools so that they can use as soon as they download their copy. Mm-hmm. So anybody that's interested in that can go right there and I'll put it in the, in the show notes. And yeah, again, thank you so much. This and was such an book. amazing Yes, and, and book. my book, which, uh, and like I said, I have a system. So empathicmastery.com is the basic, basic everything. Empathicmasterybook.com is where you get the book. Empathicmasteryshow.com is where oh, nice. you listen to the podcast. And Empathic Mastery Academy is where you go if you want to learn more about, be, you know, sort of being part of the Empathic Mastery movement and learning how to use this tool in a wonderful group of people who are all doing this work. Nice. Yeah, yeah put all awesome. of that in Thank there. You. And, Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. This has been such a pleasure. Such Good. a delight. Yeah. yeah. Literally the converse. Every time I say that, when we talk to someone, thank you for showing up today because it was the exact conversation that I needed on my journey. So thank you. Exactly. All right. Thanks a lot.
everybody for showing up here for us and for yourselves and we will see you next time thanks for joining us for this conversation if you would like to connect with jennifer moore you can find her at empathicsensitivity.com where you can download her empathic safety guide you can find her at empathicmasteryshow.com empathicmasterybook.com and empathicmasteryacademy.com thanks again and we'll see you next time